0: Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. In the last part of verse 25. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. It's 10.15 and you're still not dressed, the wife chided. The husband replied, I don't want to go to church today. The talk is too long, the music is mediocre, and nobody there wants to know me. Give me one good reason I should go to church, the wife replies, because you're the pastor. (laughs) You probably heard that one before. It's funny, isn't it? The honest truth is sometimes we don't want to gather together. One of the things that's come up uh, from lockdowns is that people begin to wrestle with what does it mean to be the church? Why do we need to gather? If church is just about us learning something, can't we do that from watching a video online? If church is just about us experiencing God as we sing to him, can't we just do that on our own? What, what is it about gathering that is so important? Why should we make our gatherings together a priority? And maybe even more pointed, why is it that sometimes, maybe often, we find church boring? Why? Now, this is not going to be a sermon where I tell you, here's why our church is the exciting place to be, because that's not what we're about. But this is one of those messages, hopefully you'll see, this is, I believe, Paul's message to us, to recognize what God calls us to do and be when we gather together. And I'm fully aware that how we both interpret and apply these scriptures is not something that's always universally agreed upon. But it's important for us to recognize as a congregation These are things that come from the conviction to do what God says as opposed to do what we feel is right and see if that works according to Scripture. So we want to see and try to understand as best we can what the Scripture is teaching and as best we can do what He says by the power of the Spirit. And we've been seeing so far in this section, and if you remember, this section of Corinthians starts in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 2 through the end of chapter 14, where Paul's wanting to set the Corinthians in order. What does it look like to do an orderly church gathering? What should church gatherings be about? And he's had a lot to say to these guys. There's been a lot of correction needed for these guys. And yet he he wants them to not just, just stop what you're doing and start fresh. He says, no, 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 there's a lot of stuff that's good, but there's a lot of stuff that's bad. So let's seek God, let's hear from God and know what it is that he wants you to do. This is Paul's heart towards those in Corinth. Specifically in chapter 14, Paul is addressing an issue in Corinth where they were overemphasizing tongues and in some ways devaluing prophecy or misusing prophecy, at least. And what we need to to, to see is, what are the principles here? What are the main things we're supposed to see? Because Paul's point in this section, especially in in chapters 12 to 14, is to say, how does the Spirit work among his people? What is he trying to do? We saw in the beginning of the section, didn't we, in in the first part of chapter 12, where we talked about that what the Holy Spirit does is he builds on the foundation of Jesus. Jesus. He wants us to become like Jesus. He wants us to understand Jesus. He wants us to trust Jesus. And so all that the Holy Spirit is doing in, in us as individuals and in our group collectively, our gatherings collectively, is to get us to trust Jesus more, to believe that he is who he says he is. And then Adam did a great job of, of dealing with uh, uh, the next section in chapter 12 where, where we see that, that Paul wants the Corinthians to recognize and the Holy Spirit wants us to recognize that, that, that he works, the Holy Spirit works through, through individuals and he doesn't want us to exalt ourselves one to another. That it's the, the one another relationships are the purpose of the work of the Holy Spirit. And then Thomas wisely brought up in, in chapter 13 how really if we don't bear the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit are pointless. The Holy Spirit wants to teach us to love. So now we get to chapter 14, and it gets really specific, really particular. I mean, so much so that we are splitting the chapter into two sections. But he starts off that chapter by wanting to make sure that we get what our goal ought to be. He says clearly in verse 1 of chapter 14, Pursue love. This is your goal. The love that, that Thomas uh, uh, explained to us last week in, in chapter 13, this love that is... is is." is bigger than all the other four types of love in the Greek language. This love, this agape love, or agape love, this love that is a love that, that God describes who God is in his essence, it's a love that is other-centered, it's a love that takes initiative and action, it's, 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 it's basically living on purpose. It's wanting to show God on purpose. It's a love that esteems others as better than ourselves. Now, this is, this is foundational to Christianity. In fact, it's so foundational, it might be so familiar that you are saying to yourself right now, I already know this, John. I already got this bit. Mm-hmm. But do you? Do I? Because the Apostle John, who was known as the Apostle of Love, uh, tradition says at the end of his life, when he was so old, he couldn't stand and preach, they'd kind of walk him in and sit on him in a chair and say, John, what's your message to the church? What do you think the church needs to say? And he would, in a raspy old voice, say, love one another. Amen. And it was beginning to get as old as he was, and they're like, John, you might need to say something else. And he basically would reply, when you learn to love one another, I'll stop saying love one another. <laughs> That's a tradition. But the reality is this, listen, God calls us to love. Paul's prioritizing love needing to be our pursuit. This is our goal. Because, listen, we are not identified by the supernatural gifts of the Spirit or by the not-so-supernatural gifts of the Spirit. We're not identified by the gifts of the Spirit. We're identified by the fruit of the Spirit. We're identified by God's supernatural love manifest in our midst. This has to be the goal. Jesus tells his disciples on the night before he's crucified, he says, by this all will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. This has to be the goal. If you come to any gathering, whether it's a Sunday service or a small group gathering, men's, women's, home group, if you go to a gathering and your goal is me, That the main focus of you going there is me. You're missing the goal. The goal is love. God, I need to know your love. I need to show your love. This is important. And it's not just important because of what Thomas said last week in the sense of that that if we, (coughs) actually Paul articulates it plainly, doesn't he? If we... uh, 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 If we do the work of the Spirit, or we're involved in the supernatural works of the Spirit, but we have not love, we're nothing. But also because, listen, it's only when we begin to pursue love that we're actually in the place. When we recognize the kind of love that God calls us to, that that love indeed is supernatural. That we can't just do it normally. It's a love that loves its enemies. It's a love that loves people that are different than than it is. And that to do that, it requires the work of the Holy Spirit. If we can learn to trust God's Spirit to work in us to love each other, guess what? We are prime ready to trust in God's Spirit to work through us supernaturally. This is why he says, listen, he says, love, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, the word, there's, it's one word in the Greek for spiritual gifts. I don't know Greek. I just looked this up and expected experts to tell me, and they did. Listen. One word, pneumatikos, and it basically means the work of the Spirit. It's translated gifts because it makes sense in the context to say gifts, but it's bigger than just these supernatural gifts. It is the work of the Spirit. Pursue love. Let that be your goal and desire. Be zealous for the work of the Spirit. And these things are connected. Paul wants his readers to know, the Holy Spirit wants us to know, listen, that if you want the gifts without love or you want love without the gifts, you probably don't understand either. And I would maybe take this one step further, and this should have been clear from last week from Thomas's message. If you think if you're operating in the gifts, it's automatically love, you don't get it. And if you think, oh, I'm loving as long as I'm nice to people, I won't get too close. I won't get too deep. I won't think too hard. You probably don't get it. What God wants to do is something that we read at the very end of this section, right? He wants to work in our midst when we gather that people come in, both us as believers and even those who are just seekers, and we can all say, surely God is in this place. Not because He's not always in this place, but because He's manifesting Himself by His Holy Spirit through His people pursuing love. You guys following me so far? Because we're rolling on first one. Come on, stay with me. <laughs> love needs to be our suit, to our pursuit. But also, listen, in this context, we need a, to have an understanding of what Paul means by tongues and prophecy. And so I'm going to give a couple definitions. I think they're on the screen, right? One at a time on the screen. So, so here's what, what, when the Bible talks about tongues, when Paul's talking about tongues, let me give a clear definition, Okay. Here's here's the definition for tongues. The self-edifying, and that's not a bad thing, the self-edifying ability to speak praises to God in a human language you do not know naturally. Now, a few of you guys here are linguists. You speak several different languages. But that's not the gift of tongues. That's a cool thing, but it's not the gift of tongues. You don't know them naturally. This is not, listen, really clear. And and this this is one of these places where There are other believers who love Jesus who disagree with him, but I think you'll see in the context this bears true. This is not God speaking to his people, but his people being enabled to speak back to him. Tongues are always always directed toward God. This is really important. It's important because it's one of the ways that we kind of discern when it's actually being interpreted properly. That's tongues. Great gift. Good gift. A gift to be pursued, as we'll see. What does he mean by prophecy? Well, prophecies are this. Listen, it's the ability to speak a specific word for a specific person or persons at a specific time that will do one of these one or more of these three things. And I, these definitions are based on these three words in verse 3, upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. It is, listen, they'll do one of these three things. They will strengthen our faith in God or the person's faith in God, they will encourage obedience to God and they will, and or they will confirm the comfort of God to his people. This is not prophecy, New Testament prophecy is not people speaking for God. That's an authoritative uh, position that I believe is only in the Old Testament. And you see in the Old Testament where Old Testament prophets, are, the, the language used to describe Old Testament prophets is equal to New Testament apostles who had a unique authority to speak for God. New Testament prophecy I think is a bit different. New Testament prophecy is really God communicating through his people. It doesn't mean it's 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 it doesn't mean that it's not from God. It means it cannot hold the same weight as the scripture. Are you guys following me? So the Old Testament prophets when they spoke, so you had Moses receives the law that's the first part of the Old Testament scripture. God calls prophets who prophesy to his people, who speak in his authority to his people. That's always in line with God's law, but that gets added to the scripture. New Testament prophets do not get added to the scripture. Are you guys following me? The reason this is important is because as we deal with this issue with these kind of clear definitions, I hope you see as we go through this section and the next section that not only are these good and accurate and healthy definitions, but also it helps us know, how how do we do this? How do we use these things? So tongues and prophecy need to be understood, right? Now, looking at verse 5 again, Paul writes, Now, I want you all to speak in tongues. Now, this is important. There are some Christian groups that say, if to be filled with the Holy Spirit, or to use language that we've been using the last couple weeks, to be baptized in the Spirit, the evidence of that baptism is speaking in tongues, or prophecy, but often it's speaking in tongues. Now, we made it really clear last two weeks that our conviction here at Servant Church among the elders is that though there is an often uh, additional experiences to conversion, okay, that when the Bible speaks of the baptism of the Spirit, that's talking about conversion. There is a coming upon that is different than conversion, but but to be baptized in spirit, that language, we try to be really intentional because in the scripture it seems really clear, that language is speaking about regeneration or coming into the faith. All right, But the reality is this, this thing that we need to understand is this, this gift of speaking in tongues, Paul says, as we read earlier, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, and that's a good thing. So having a supernatural ability to pray to God... In a language you don't understand naturally, in a sense, it's it's the Spirit, God's Spirit, enabling your spirit to pray in a language not known to you that kind of bypasses your intellect. Now, when the Scripture uses the phrase, praying in the Spirit, this would be included, praying in tongues, but it's more than that. You don't have to have the gift of tongues to pray in the Spirit. It just means being prayed, led by the Holy Spirit. But tongues can be a really edifying thing, can be a really good thing. So that's why we want to take, for, take this seriously. Paul's not using sarcasm when he says, I want you all to speak in tongues, but he's being clear. Look, in this section, he wants to prioritize not your own self-edification, but the edification of all people or the building up of all God's people when you gather together, which is why he says, notice, but even more, verse 5, to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Paul's really clear. Love needs to be our pursuit. Tongues and prophecy need to be understood. And prophecy needs to be prioritized. Why? Well, self-edifying is good. Building yourself up through a prayer language is good. But the one who prophesies is better. Not a better person, but a better way to build God's people up as we gather. Now, look at verse 6. Continuing in verse 6. So not only does, does the Holy Spirit build us up in this kind of prioritized pursuit, but Paul makes it really clear the Holy Spirit's priority is to build us up through clear communication, which is why I'm trying to be as clear as I can be when I teach and why I'm expecting you guys to come up with uh, answers that I hopefully can bring, or questions I can hopefully bring clear answers to. Verse 6, what does he say? He says, now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? I'll come back to that in verse 9. He says in verse 7, he gives this metaphor, if even lifeless instruments such as flute or harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? Now, it's all cute when our three-year-old goes to play piano. And just thong 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 thong. It's cute for about thirty seconds, and after that, you're just like, "This is not helpful. It's just noise." Now he says, "Listen," continuing with the metaphor, but doing something more. He says, "Verse eight, and if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle?" So, what's Paul doing here? Paul's using this metaphor of musical instruments and saying, unless musical instruments are played by someone who has the skill to play them, and there's distinct communication through those instruments, they're kind of pointless. That's what he's trying to say. But it's interesting here, because in these metaphors, he kind of gives us even some more insight, I think. Some more insight to how these different gifts, and notice what he Those those four things that we mentioned in verse 6, these are all kind of communication gifts, okay? The the, the interesting thing about communication gifts in in, in these metaphors is he kind of gives us two ways these things work. When it comes to music, the harp and the flute, okay, the purpose of music is to create beauty that moves us towards affectionate worship. That's why God invented music. Because it's meant to move us towards an affectionate music. Some people are saying, oh, music, you got to be careful of music because it can ma- manipulate your emotions. It's meant to manipulate your emotions. Which is why we need to be careful about music. If it, we want to make sure that, that when we're using music to mo- be moved emotionally, like the worship team, that we're singing songs that are true for believers, and our emotions are engaged, not just our intellect. It's meant to move us. We should be moved. If you sing the songs and feel nothing, either you don't understand the lyrics or you don't believe them. That's a reality. I'm not telling you what you need to feel. I'm not telling you how expressive you need to be, but I am saying if you feel nothing when we sing songs, either you don't believe them or you don't understand them. We try, we try to be really careful about the songs we choose to make sure they're songs that believers should be able to sing anytime. Now it's interesting. It's not just music though. He says the bugle, what what happens with the bugle? I, I, I don't know much about musical instruments, but supposedly the bugle has just very limited notes that it can make. But with these limited notes that it can make, it either calls soldiers to retreat or to charge. And here's what's interesting. When it's played in battle, it prepares the soldiers for necessary conflict. This is how The communication gifts, clear communication gifts, are meant to work. They're either meant to move us to accurate and heartfelt worship, or they're meant to move us to action, to prepare for necessary conflict. And this is exactly how we see prophecy working in the New Testament. Uh, Let me give you an example. It's one of my favorite examples for prophecy. Acts chapter 21 Here's what we have, listen listen to this here, Acts chapter 21. It says, and coming to us, this is Luke writing, Agabus, who was a prophet, took Paul's belt, that's the Apostle Paul who's writing these words uh, in 1 Corinthians, took Paul's belt and bound his own hands and feet and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hand of the Gentiles. Then Luke writes, then we heard this, and we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since we could not, he, he could not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Isn't this interesting? This was not Paul going, oh, a new word from God. Oh, I never thought about this. Oh, I don't want to be bound. What do I do? This was no surprise to Paul that this was going to happen to him because God had already spoken to him specifically that he was going to go through this. So Agabus gets this word that's accurate. Paul's going to be bound in Jerusalem. It's an accurate word from God. But guess what? Agabus and everybody else got wrong why God was saying that to Paul. Because they assumed, oh, this means Paul's not supposed to go. And Paul goes, no, 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 I'm supposed to go. But what this means is you know that this is what God's prepared me for, and you can support me in prayer. So so what happened here? It was preparing Paul for necessary conflict. Paul had to suffer. Jesus told him this. He's going to have to suffer so the gospel has credibility. Now, listen. I love hearing prophetic words that lead me to worship. I love that. But here's here's what I my experience. Okay, here's my experience in church. And I'm not setting the standard for these things by my experience. I'm just using this to illustrate. My experience is when I've been in meetings where, where we are pursuing the things of God's Spirit, manifestations of God's Spirit, a couple of things tend to happen. There's trends. Sometimes what happens is people give these really generic exhortations. My dear little children, I love you, and I want you to know that I love you. Well, that's lovely, and that's true but that may or may not be prophetic. It could just be an exhortation. Now, it's not the fact that it's so simple that makes it not prophetic. It's it's whether or not it's specific. And so my experience is, when I've seen prophecy be the most impactful, where it does move people, including myself, towards authentic worship, or move people to be prepared for necessary conflict, is when it's very specific. So the, 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 the couple of times that people prophesied over me or had prophecies about me, they were very specific, and they didn't know what it meant. Well, one of them did, I should say. She, I think she had a clue. The other one didn't. By the way, they were both female prophets. And so, and so the thing was, and if I explain it to you, take too long to explain it to you, but basically God had been moving me in a certain direction. i have been wrestling with whether I want to do this or whether it was from God, and then when the first woman has this prophetic dream and says, here's what I saw, I know immediately that's the Lord and God saying, This is me telling you to do this. And so I was like, yes, Lord, I need to do this. I believe it. I need to do this. And the second spoken word was specific. And what was really cool was my buddy was right next to me. And he goes, yep, that's the Lord. I'm like, yep, that's the Lord. (laughs) The point is this. Listen, the point is this. It's, the Holy Spirit wants to build us up. He wants to strengthen us. That's what that word means. It's the key word in this section. He wants to strengthen us through clear communication. That means he wants to strengthen us to say something clear. The woman who gave me that first dream had the same dream three nights in a row. And she wasn't prone to dreams. In fact, she said, I don't dream about you, John Brown, I promise. I <laughs> promise. And she said, and I don't really have, I've never really had a dream that was prophetic before, but I think this might be. I don't know why. Here it is, and it was. But it's clear. It was, the dream was clear. The interpretation was clear. This is why, and I, I hate to be negative, but this is why I get suspect when people come up to me and say, The Lord sent me this, this to, to sent me to say this to you. I, I'll hear it and I'll go, Okay, I'll pray about that. But if I, if it's out of left field and that nothing that's ever entered my heart, I kind of go, well, I don't think I'm being so stubborn that you had to send someone to say, listen. Now I'll give you one more example because it happened here. Years, a, few, a couple years ago, I was really struggling to submit to God with something. I was partially submitting, and I knew I was, but I was just wrestling to fully say, all right, God. I kept going, God, I'm sorry. I, I, I need to just say, be obedient in this and just do it. And then I kind of give partial obedience. But you know what? I'm John Brown. I'm used to doing ministry. I can put on a happy face. So I go to church. I'm doing this stuff, you know. I'm saying hi to people. I'm getting ready to preach a message. And Sammy Arthur comes up to me and he says, hey, I had this vision during worship. I had this picture. I think it's for you. But I I don't know. What do you think? He said, here's the picture. God had his hand on you and his hand was on you and you had bowed the knee. But the reason God's hand was on you was because you needed to bow further. That's the Lord. Amen. Amen. Now, now here's the other thing, the reason I, I want to share those two, those illustrations. Neither of those, not of any of these prophecies that have been spoken over me or toward me that God has given for me were things that were told to the congregation other than like now. And one of the problems I think we have when it comes to pursuing the work of the Spirit, especially prophecy, is we think it has to be this big Life-altering thing for the whole congregation. Now, those things happen as well. In fact, the woman once had a, a prophecy she felt was for the congregation when we were in the old building. And because this this woman, uh, there were some character things there that, that made me nervous. I didn't share it with the congregation. I go, well, I'll think about that. And it actually came to be true. And so even though, I, I, I in hindsight, I wonder if I should have said it or not said it. I don't know, but the reality was it was still edifying to me. Like, okay, God, you, you are moving us this, this direction. But often what I've seen with prophecy is, as we see with Agabus in Acts 21, it's God given a specific word for a specific person at a specific time, and that person, when they get that word, they know exactly what it's for. Does this make sense? Now, now here's, here's the reality, okay? Going back to verse 6 really quick. I'm going way too slow. Uh, he says, "He says, I'm not going to be a benefit if I come praying out in tongues in a, in, a, in, a, in a gathered meeting unless I also bring some revelation, some knowledge, prophecy, or teaching." And then he dropped down to verse nine again. He says, "So with yourselves, if with a, if with your tongue that is this supernatural tongue you utter speech that's not intelligible, people don't understand it. How will anyone know what is said? For you're speaking into the air." The reality is this, okay? All spoken gifts are understandable unlike uninterpreted tongues. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to communicate for beauty and for battle because the truth sets free. But also, look at verses 10, 10 to 12. The Holy Spirit wants to build us uh, through clear communication, and that is communicating to maintain the unity of the Spirit. I'm going to go quicker, right? Verse 10, here we go. There are, there are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none was without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of a language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me, so that, so that with yourselves, since you are eager to, for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in the building up, that's that word again, or strengthening of the church. Now, now, he uses this word foreigner, and it's actually a Greek word where we get the English word barbarian. And it was usually like used as an insult. And the reason he's using this word, I think, is to kind of show the, the, what happens to relationships when there is not clear communication within the body of Christ. So if, if people, when people pray in tongues for the congregation to hear, we'll talk about details about how tongues might be used in a congregation next week. But when people pray in tongues loud enough so the congregation hears and there is no interpretation, it actually makes a barbarian of somebody else or makes you look like a barbarian. It basically makes you separate from everybody else. That's not the unity of the Spirit. You see, the, the truth is, listen, we should want to communicate clearly because we want to be close to each other. This is sometimes why it's hard for us, I think, to, to, to love. Because to love is to be vulnerable. To love is actually to both build relationship and risk relationship. Because if we fear each other's opinion so much that we can't be honest, we're not going to be loving each other. We've got to be honest with each other. We just need to make sure that we're actually being, having God's perspective and we're actually walking in love. But also, verse 12, what does he say? Listen, Uh, verse 12 again, he says, so with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, and again, this is Paul affirming the Corinthians' desire to see God move supernaturally. Remember, he said this in the very beginning of the letter. We are admittedly and purposely, cautiously charismatic because of the baggage that's surrounded around that term, charismatic but we are indeed charismatic at Servant's Church. We do indeed want to see God move supernaturally. We do see God move supernaturally. We want to be discerning. Some of you guys have backgrounds where you've seen the supernatural that was not of God at all, and you rightly are cautious. But it doesn't mean we don't want the the real thing, but here's what we want the real thing. We want the real thing because we want to see the church build up. Our zeal needs to be motivated by, by the right relationship that Jesus provides for us. We have a right relationship with the Father because of Jesus. We have a right relationship with one another because of Jesus. He's the one that makes us one. It's motivated by that right relationship we already have and the growth the Holy Spirit wants to bring in that. Paul says it simply in, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. He says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourself together with peace. This means not neglecting the gifts, but pursuing love and trusting the Lord to give you the gift you need to love. You may want to have a strong speaking gift, and God's going, actually, the way I want you to love people is just to serve or just to give some dough or or, or just to stop and listen. One of my biggest sins is using my gift of teaching as if it's the only gift God ever wants me to operate in. I talk too much. And all God's kids said, you all know, I talk too much. We know that too, Greg. (laughs) It's easy to do. And what we need to say is, is, Lord, show us how we can keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Lastly, in this section, verses 13 to 19, again, I'm going to go quick. Verses 13 to 15, follow me. Therefore, as one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I also pray with my mind. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I also sing with my mind also. Now, now, what, what's Paul talking about here? Well, basically, what's pretty clear here is that when the gift of tongues can be used in a spoken way or in a sung way. Now, now, let me say this too. I've never, I'm convinced I've never legitimately spoken in tongues. I had an experience, if you want to know about it, I'll tell you about it. But I don't think I've legitimately spoken in tongues. But I have uh, been in, in places where tongues is legitimately used. And I'm not calling into question people's individual experience with tongues. Because that, that's, that's not my place. But, but, but here's, here's what, I, what I've seen. I've actually seen... People pray in a language that they didn't know naturally, and it was clearly a real language. And then someone else interpreted that language, these praises to God. And just the reality that like, it was a similar cadence or it was a really clear sort of interpretation was really edifying. So that by itself can be done. But one of the things that's, that, that we need to understand here is that what Paul's saying here is he's not saying don't pray in tongues or pray in tongues less. As much as he's saying, you don't need to avoid self-edification. It's not wrong for you to go, gosh, I really need to be built up at church today. That's a good thing. You should want that. But let your prioritize your priority be others in the gathering. Let, let there be this, this, this reality that when you are getting ready to come to church, you're thinking, okay, Lord, I have needs and I have anxieties and I have worries. And I'm hoping some of those, and I have questions, and I'm hoping those things get met there. But, Lord, I know I can't just go for me. What about everyone else? Would you show me what I need to do? We'll talk more about that in a minute. And he says, he continues in in a similar vein in verse 16. He says, otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, that is, you're praying in tongues or singing in tongues, how can anyone in the position of an outsider, that is, someone who doesn't know what you're doing, say amen to the thanksgiving, but he does not know what you're saying. What's this guy? Well, you might know that tongues is for praising God and go, okay, he's trying to praise God or she's trying to praise God. That's fine. But you don't know how or what. For all you know, they could be saying, you know, Jesus be accursed. You don't know if you don't know the language. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Paul says, verse 18, I thank God I speak more in tongues than all of you. Nevertheless, in church... I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in the tongue. So the, 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 the picture that seems the conclusion I would come to the, it, with this is that Paul used tongues, as Thomas kind of talked about, how he used tongues in his own prayer closet. He did that all the time. He enjoyed praying to God in the spirit where the, he, he had a prayer language, a, a language he didn't know naturally, whatever that was. He's praying in that language, but he's also praying with understanding praying in his native Hebrew or whatever. He would pray in these different ways. So the issue is here, listen, Paul's not saying, don't neglect private worship. It's a good thing. But prioritize instruction in your gatherings. Why should you read your Bible every day? Samuel, thanks for the little uh, uh, prompt about the... uh, Servant church reading plan. I did not pay him to do that, I promise. But it's really good. I'll tell you, having a a disciplined time of reading God's word is good. Because listen, it's not just about you self being self-edified. It's about you being equipped and prepared to minister to other people. And and why not do that? Lord, I want to meet with you as I read your word. I pray your spirit would teach me. And if any of this is for someone else, bring it back to my mind. Isn't that a good simple prayer when you're reading God's word? See, this is also what Paul was getting at in the end of chapter 12 when he talks about sort of these these kind of priorities of spiritual gifts. Notice he says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28, he says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helping administrations, and various kinds of tongues. Paul's not necessarily saying these are, he's not saying these are all the gifts. Paul's going to say, okay, here's the gifts that you guys, some of the gifts that you exalt, some of the gifts that you kind of put aside. He goes, let's put these in order. What's the priority? Notice tongues is at the bottom. Now, the priority in your gathering is apostles. What were apostles? In the early church, the apostles were there who first came and started the church. In this case, it was Paul. What about prophets? They were those those who spoke what God needed his people to hear. Sometimes that came through a a teaching. In other words, there was a teaching that had a prophetic, prophetic element to that. Sometimes it was just through other prophets. It was directional. But it established, here's how God wants you to move forward. I reckon, I can imagine, this is just me using my imagination, that there were times in the early church in Corinth where, okay, they're established in good doctrine by Paul, Uh, Apollos comes and he's really preaching in ways that people are going, man, this is really good stuff. What do we do next, God? We're growing, how should we do this? Okay, Lord, show us what you want to do and there's prophetic words that confirm how that church is to go. And then what about teachers? Well, long-term, they needed Cephas and they needed other brothers to be built up to continue to equip God's people for the work of ministry, so they were teaching. In other words, the first three priorities are all instructional gifts. Are you guys following me? The Holy Spirit builds us up through clear communication. So we should be pursuing love and desiring to communicate God's truth clearly with one another. Does that mean you all need to be theologians? Well, you already are all theologians, whether you know it or not. It definitely doesn't mean you need to know a certain system of theology. But it does mean you need to know what God's word says and need to say it. I didn't ask Sam if I could say it, so Sam, forgive me. Hopefully this is not going to offend you or embarrass you. But but one of the things about Sam, Sam and I don't always agree doctrinally, do we, Sam? We don't. We're honest about that. But one of the things I really appreciate about Sam is Sam wants to just tell you what God says. Here's what the Bible says. Even if I disagree sometimes on his interpretation, still, this is what the Bible says. There's an edification in that that we should pursue. It's a good thing. So lastly, and we're going to go through this even quick. I'm so sorry I'm going too long, but here here we go. We see the Holy Spirit, he builds us up towards a prioritized pursuit. He builds us up through clear communication, both what's being communicated to us and what's being communicated through us. But also, listen, he builds us up to reveal God to all. This is not just about your experience. It's not even just about our experience as a a church. It's about about God revealing himself to anybody who would walk through those doors. Verse 20. I I want to kind of finish this section with questions that we'll, we'll answer in somewhat, but we'll get into more details next week. Verse 20. Paul writes, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. Question, how mature is your thinking? In asking that question, how mature is your thinking? Are you going, I don't know, I don't know what mature thinking is. Well, that's a good indication of how mature your thinking is. How mature is your thinking? Think this way. How can I love others Today, that's maturity. How can I love others today? I'm going to church. I ain't feeling up for it. Can I confess? I did not feel up to church today. Came in a bit later than I wanted. Forgot the gift that was meant to give to the Thompson family for the dedication. Forgot to print off my notes. That's why I have my laptop up here so I could read off the, the vows. Was running super late. Didn't get to pray with the people that pray early. Was running. They didn't get to worship. I was so looking forward to worshiping in song, listening to the songs during making coffees. It was just a bad start of the morning for me. And I was confessing in the driving back from the office at like 10.40, begging God that I can get everything finished before they call me up to do the dedication. God, you got to help me because I want to throttle somebody and it's no one's fault but my own. I, I, I don't have any love in my heart right now. And I want to speak the truth in love. Help me, Lord. Because what matters most is that we pursue that love. In in asking that, we can be specific to God. Who would you have me serve today? Now, sometimes that's pretty obvious because you have a specific role. You're serving on a team. You know what your job is. This is why we give you job descriptions. We hope you actually follow through with those. And you kind of go, okay, this is how I'm going to love people today. I'm going to do this job this way, and I'll love people that way. Sometimes it's that. Sometimes it's not obvious, and you, you, you start a conversation that you're not thinking much of, and all of a sudden, you, the Holy Spirit says, This is the person I want you to really listen to, or give to, or serve, or speak that good word in due season to. But we need to ask, Lord, How would you do it? Listen, the mindset of loving others is the mindset of maturity. And it's pointless to see the manifestations of God's Spirit among babies. You want to see that from mature people to people who want to mature. How mature is your thinking? Even more practically, verses 21 to 23. When are tongues assigned to unbelievers? Look at this. I'm going to try to do this fast. This is going to be a bit complicated, but try to follow with me, okay? Verse 21. Verse 21. In the law it is written, and he's quoting Isaiah chapter 28. Listen. By people of strange tongues and by lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. Even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. That doesn't sound very positive, does it? In the context of Isaiah, God's people are in captivity. And so basically, here they are, Hebrews, surrounded by people who speak different languages. And it's because they didn't listen to their prophets. And so God's saying, okay, here's, here's a sign, a sign of judgment or a sign of chastening, tongues, foreign languages you don't know naturally. Now what Paul's saying here is, listen, he's wanting to get an, a, a, an understanding, he wants to give us an understanding that, um, that tongues can be used as a way to call people to repentance, This is exactly, listen, what we see happening on the day of Pentecost when they all spoke in tongues. Listen to this. Acts chapter 2, and everyone, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak it in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews who from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise... Everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoke by the believers. Now, you read the whole context, you'll see that what they were speaking was praises to God. It's pretty plain there. But also, listen, what's happening here? These devout Jews, listen, being devout Jews, the men would have gone to Jerusalem three times a year and would have been doing so for several years, which means they went to Jerusalem, heard Jesus preach, heard John the Baptist preach, knew at least of, if not saw, Jesus' miracles and said, nah, he's not the Messiah. And so when Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem until you're filled from on high with the Holy Spirit, and then they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they pray in these different languages, it's a sign of judgment to those Jews. Not condemnation, judgment. Why is this important? Because what if, what if they would have spoken in all kinds of languages that none of those guys would have heard? It would mean nothing. But because it was interpreted, not by a supernatural gift of interpretation, but because it was in their known languages, in other words, the, the speaking was supernatural, the interpretation was natural. But still, because it was doing that, listen, it was a call from God to turn and believe. And of course, Peter preaches, and 3,000 people are added to the church in one day. Now, what about when, when are prophecies assigned to unbelievers? Verse 24, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are, are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Don't miss what is probably so obvious we tend to miss it. The expectation that Paul had was that when believers gathers, there would always be unbelievers in their midst. So when I address some of you guys, because I obviously don't know every single one of you, you know most of you here, but I don't know every single one of you well enough to know where you're at with the Lord. But when we address this idea and we say, if you're here today and you're just still, Christianity is new to you, or you're not sure if you're really a Christian yet, We are so glad you're here. Now, secret's out. This is what we're praying for. We're praying that when you hear the word or you have a conversation or people pursue love with you, whether they speak something or not, that what ends up happening is when the truth is is finally spoken, you have your heart exposed. You see that you need Jesus and you bow your knee and you worship him. In other words, listen, when unbelievers are convicted of their own sin, that's when prophesy is a sign. Prophecy is a sign. When, when they're convinced that God is among us, that's when prophecy is a sign. In this sense, listen, though there is a specific gift of prophecy, anytime we emphasize spoken gifts, a small word of encouragement. Praying over somebody, sharing a scripture with somebody. All these things can have a prophetic edge, especially, listen, especially when we feel like, I think this is a specific word for this specific person at this specific time. And often you'll know that it was from God because people will hear that and they'll go, oh man, that really does nail me. Now maybe the, at the time they'll go, oh, that's not for me, no. And they'll go home and go, yeah, that was for me, I didn't want to admit it. But this is the reality. Now, I want to close with this. I've gone way too long, but I want to close with this. Listen. Can you imagine what our gatherings would be like if we just simply said, Lord, we're coming together today, yes, to learn about you, yes, to sing songs to you, but we can do those in other places. But what we can't do, that we need to do when we come together is to pursue Love toward one another. And Lord, we want to ask that your spirit would move in us so that we would know how to love specifically. What would happen if we came together and said, Lord, I expect you to speak. Lord, I expect you to use me to serve and love other people. Do you think our gatherings would be boring? No. <laughs> I don't think so. One of the privileges I have as a Bible teacher is how often people will come to you and say, did someone tell you about what's going on in my life? Because it felt like you were speaking right to me. I love it when God does that. And I always get to say, I had no clue that was going on with you. That was just the Holy Spirit trying to get your attention. But it doesn't just happen from the pulpit, guys. We give you a long break for a reason. So you can pursue love and let God choose Let the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, Choose how he wants you to love the person in front of you. Amen.